Does the channel provide value? Focus on the foundation. I am a travel vlogger. It's always about communication. Build those partnerships. What are the problems that you solve for your clients? Just being ahead on the technological side of things. Leading an organization. You not only want to survive, but you want to thrive. They said it wouldn't last, and they said that you can't drive profitable and incremental revenue through the affiliate channel. But here we are, 20 years later, and the affiliate channel is alive and kicking and generating profitable revenue for thousands of retailers across the globe. Hi, I am Jamie Birch, your host of the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast, where we talk to some of the industry's best and brightest about their careers, about leadership, and about how to drive profitable revenue through the affiliate channel. Hello, and welcome to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Jamie Birch, CEO and founder of your award-winning affiliate marketing agency, JEB Commerce. Today, I have a special guest. Well, they're all special. I know I say that a lot, but Tony Pantano and I go way back. Tony is the CEO of I Am Wave, a search agency working through the affiliate channel. So before I introduce the episode, I do want to talk to you about one resource we have available. So it is the Affiliate Program Strategy Roadmap. If you would like to find out how we leverage our decades of experience to create a strategy for growth, then you should check out that service here. Uh, We can help you identify exactly what you need to be doing with your affiliate program to ensure that it is set up for success in these crazy times. Uh, What will 2021 look like? Well, this strategy will help you pivot and adapt and be flexible through that. So you can go to jebco.de slash strategy. That's jebco dot de slash strategy. I will include that link in the show notes as well. So today, uh, Tony and I talk about all things search. Now, if you are interested, uh, you know, with all my podcasts, if you're a regular listener, you know that we kind of talk about whatever comes up in the beginning. Uh, and today, Tony, uh, uh, with Tony, we talk about uh, being on the school board and what that has been like in the age of COVID. So if you ever want to get a perspective that you probably don't get, uh, I would encourage you to listen to that. If you want to jump ahead uh, right to the affiliate marketing stuff, then probably around minute 18 to 20 is when we transition into uh, affiliate marketing. But today, uh, Tony gives three examples of successes that his firm uh, has produced and how they work together. Uh, And he also highlights how they are different from Trademark Plus. So if you listening to this episode thinking we're going to talk about Trademark Plus, we do, but that is not what Tony and his team at I Am Wave do. So I'm going to get out of the way. Enjoy the episode. All right, Tony Pantano, thank you and welcome to the Profitable Performance Marketing Podcast. Mr. Birch, it's a pleasure. Uh, you and I go way back and uh... When Way you back. asked me to uh, join the podcast, I, I was honored, thrilled, and uh, excited. So it's good to catch up with you and be a participant. Yeah, it's weird not to see each other five or six times uh, every year. And it's been over a year. Uh, and what a crazy freaking year. Um, you were on the top, my first uh uh, uh, 25 that I wanted to get on. So glad we can get everything scheduled. How have you been, man? It's been a crazy year. What it's, what's it been like for you? It's hard to even recap 
what the last 12 months has brought us. Uh, Amen. You know, it's <laughs> March seems like a hundred years ago at this point. Uh, yeah. When things sort of shut down, I, I missed affiliate summit West in the beginning of 2020 um, for some other issues and thinking, Oh, I'll catch up with everybody later in the year at affiliate summit East or CJU or think tank or, or one of the, the multiple events that I usually try and get to. And, Little did I know that I'd be sitting here 12 months later and not have gone anywhere. So uh, business has been odd. Some uh, some programs are doing well and some programs really took a hit. So it's just it's it's crazy with no rhyme or reason. Yeah. And you have probably the most unique perspective of anyone we've had on the podcast yet because you are on the on the school board. Uh, is that correct? Is that how you, what you guys call it over there? Yes. And uh, I'm located. Uh, so we're based out of Virginia, but I work out of Pennsylvania. And in Pennsylvania, each school district has a board of elected officials. So I had to actually get on the ballot and campaign and, and be elected to this position. And uh, I'm in my fourth year on the school board here, our local school board. Which wow, crazy, crazy year three that we've had. Um, <laughs> it is a it is a unique perspective, and I think a lot of people don't don't have. So what what uh, what prompted you to run uh, and and to kind of throw yourself into uh, even on normal years from people I've heard on school boards? It's crazy. It, it, it is crazy. It's really a thankless job. And there are very few people and in my in my geography. There are very few people that are even interested in, in participating. Uh, we've had some openings and I've reached out and tried to recruit some people. And I've gotten you, uh, I'm 100 percent unsuccessful at recruiting new people. Wow. <laughs> but, um, you know, I have two kids that are that are in high school and I've lived in this district for 20 almost 25 years. And if you think about it, where we go, school taxes are probably one of the top bills that you pay. And, and um, I thought that my perspective and my view on, on certain things might be a benefit to the district. And uh, some people that I know that were on the board called me and said, hey, what do you, what do you think? And I said, I'll give it a shot. And I won. And that's kind of where, how it ended up. What was the campaigning like? Was it, uh, I imagine, I think when I hear campaigning, I, w I participated in a city council uh, campaign in uh, Seattle and that was intense. What was yours like? It was the opposite. It was the antithesis of intense. Uh, <laughs> I, I, bought, I, I, bought, I bought 50 campaign signs uh, and drove around the, the, and put them up. And I and I recruited some people to stand at the polls and hand out cards with my picture on them. And that was about the extent of it. Um, you know, and I grew up around here. Uh, my family's around here. Uh, my so there's some name recognition. Um, mm -hmm. I reached out to people that I know on on the uh, your the township commissioners boards and some other boards and kind of said, you know, hey, can you can you talk me up a little bit? And that's really the extent of, of what we had to do. There weren't, I, I hate to say this, but you know, it was really, I was really on a, there was two of us running for two seats. So 
again, nobody's interested in these positions. And this is where all the, the decisions really that affect us happen you know, by, by evidence this year with everything going yeah, on. Yeah. Yeah. And so did you figure out what the person did differently that called you and was successful in recruiting you that you haven't done with your phone calls? (laughs) (laughs) No, (laughs) maybe, maybe she, maybe she just found the right person. I I don't know. Uh, caught me in a moment of weakness. I, I decided a long time. I I was approached. I've been approached many, many times for many boards, uh, throughout my career. And it's hard to pick and choose what you, which ones you're going to participate in. And I decided about probably about 20 years ago, anything that had to do with children, I would participate in. Um, mm. And that's kind of been my, my benchmark. So I've served on the, on the, the, li- the county library board. I've served on the, um, yeah, it's called the Children's Home. It's started as an orphanage and it's for troubled, troubled uh, children in the area, um, health education center board. So anything children related, this seemed a natural fit, um, with the school board. Awesome. Well, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, the man that I know would, uh, you know, would be involved in those things. So what, you know, like I said earlier, from what I've heard, it's, uh, you know, what you've said, it's always a thankless job, but the last 12 months have been just insane. What, what has that been like from your perspective, dealing with COVID and parents and kids and all of that? I, you know, it's, it's just like a, it's a microcosm of our whole world right now. The opinions are, are vast and, and diverse, and there's very little movement either way. Our superintendent is pretty forward thinking. And at the beginning of the school year, he came out with a three option, three option plan that gave the power to the parents to decide. Um, he decided that we're going to open in person if you choose. Uh, and if you select that, this is what it will mean in terms of mitigation efforts. Uh, and then we chose a, a, a virtual option where your children could work from home and, and zoom in. And this is what that would mean. And uh, parents were allowed to choose. And Parents were allowed to switch at the, the semester breaks. And he put that out there. And, and, you know, I have to be honest with you. There were those people that thought we were crazy. And there are those people that were really adamantly opposed to getting back in person. But the school's done a fantastic job with mitigation efforts. There's been very little community spread that's associated with the kids that are in school. And, um, you know, we've, we've actually been in person since uh, September. Oh, wow. So we went back right away. We had a one or we had two building closures, uh, a 14 day closure, um, which was part of the plan. If there were X number of cases, we would close for 14 days and clean. So we had one closure out of uh, however many months we've been open, which is fantastic. They, they've done a great job. And um, and, and the, you know, it's great for the kids. The kids need to all of the data, all of the science, all of the research shows that kids need face-to-face and that it's really probably one of the safest place for them to be. I know a lot of people aren't going to agree with that, but um, that's really what a lot of the data is showing. And I think even now you can see the administration and the CDC are, are pushing to how do we get kids back in school? Yeah. It seems that, that that's definitely the, the take there, you know, what they're, what they're pushing now. What was the, 
what was the most difficult part of that? It doesn't sound like, did you guys have to make a decision? I, I, our kids are homeschooled, so we don't have much interaction with the school system and the school board here in Idaho. Um, so I, I don't really know how it works, but I, I do remember lots of protests against our school board here. Um, lots of very heated, uh, school board meetings, uh, even where they were closed, uh, <laughs> and then people had to be escorted out like some pretty crazy stuff. So far, it doesn't sound like all that crazy for your experience, but or or, or we just not hit that yet. <laughs> no, we didn't hit that yet. I'm 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 painting a very rosy picture for you because uh, I you want, are. Yeah, I want your listeners to think that it's all it's all fun and games. You know, we <laughs> we we had our we had our three option plan, and um, at the eleventh hour, the there was a push to pull the plug and go one hundred percent virtual. And I, I don't know how much in depth you want me to get here, Jamie. I, the, the reality is, you know, our meetings were virtual, so we didn't have to throw anybody out. But gotcha. it was an 11th hour decision. It was put on the agenda. The public was given 24 hours notice that this was going to happen. And I didn't think that was right. As an elected official, I, I'm very big on transparency. And if that was the way the vote was going to go, that to switch to virtual, then then that's fine. That's democracy in action. But parents should know and they should have a voice and they should be able to um, they should be able to show up. And so a few of us on the board pushed out this information and said, you know, hey, this is what's happening. If you, if you have an opinion and in 12 hours, we received somewhere between five and seven hundred comments from parents. At the board meeting, we our Zoom capability is limited to a hundred. That filled up in the first two minutes that it was posted. Wow. So they had to start streaming the they had to stream the school board meeting on YouTube live to accommodate the rest. We had a hundred people via Zoom. We had twenty five hundred people streaming in live on YouTube during the meeting. The meeting began at 7 p.m. and I got home at 1:38 a.m. Wow! So it was a six-hour and 38-minute meeting, if my math is correct. Uh, it was very heated, very passionate. Uh, there's nine of us on the board, and we went back and forth. And some of the social media comments were, you know, "Yay for this guy!" and "This guy's a, a crank." And uh, I received <laughs> both of those. Um, and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, the motion to go virtual was not going to pass. And in order to save a little face for the superintendent, the the motion to go virtual was tabled. That left a lot a sour taste in a lot of people's mouths. They felt like we punted. But in reality, I'm the one that made the motion to table it. I figured it allowed him to save face. There was no sense to ha him to have a losing vote with a tabled motion. We simply reverted back to the three option plan. Mm -hmm. um, so it, that's after six hours and 38 minutes, a lot of people said you could at least have taken a vote. And I said, well, you know, sometimes when you're ahead, you don't need to score that last touchdown. Yeah. And so, you know, in our area, they were protesting any school closures whatsoever. It sounds like in your area, there was a lot of support for the three option and letting parents control what they wanted to do. Um, 
and going virtual, they were against as well. Yeah, well, it, it was hard to understand what people were really for and what they were against. Many of the people that that voiced concern for going back to school in public, in person, excuse me, had already selected their, for their children to be virtual. And I had a little bit of a problem with that because, you know, you selected virtual. No one's giving you a hard time. That's what you've selected. That's what's right for your family, pre-existing conditions, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. I thought it was inappropriate for those people to then come and suggest that the rest of the folks that selected option one shouldn't have that option. It should be taken away mm. from them. And there were, so the, 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 really the fear was in person. Nobody wanted in person. I'm, I'm sorry. There, a lot of people didn't want in person, but overwhelmingly 67 to 68% of our parents wanted some form of in-person education. And again, I go back to this as an elected official. I represent the people. It's not my opinion. It's not my will. I'm, I'm representing the people that put me there. If better than two out of three of the people that elected me wants a choice, and that's what they were saying, I just want the choice to go in person, then that's the position I had to take. And so um, it was. it's really odd that 23% of the people who didn't want to go in person were fighting to have the other two thirds have their option taken away. Yeah. And, and I can definitely see that over here uh, as well. And I think we actually, the biggest thing for us as we're watching is not everyone was as privileged as we were to, to be able to only have one person working, one person at home and, and schooling like the, the, without having an option for the kids to go to school, I, I, when we had single parents that we know of just going, what the heck am I supposed to do? I have to work, but I have two kids that can't be home alone. And that created a huge issue too. Um, and I, I totally understand that we, we went into our own little lockdown and, uh, we're one of the weird ones in Idaho to do that. But, uh, the reality of, you know, people got to work. And they right. can do that when their kids are in school, you know, and I assume you saw a lot of that too. Well, that was one of the, that was, it, it was not the major driver, but it was a big driver. Uh, we we're we're a very blue collar area. We have a lot of two families income households mm -hmm. where they both work. Um, we, this was at a time, you know, look, August, September, where the, all of the major lockdowns are over. People are back to work. The extra $600 unemployment had gone away at that point. And so these folks, they had to work to put food on the table. And if you had an elementary school student, they couldn't stay home by themselves. You couldn't assist. And it put people in a really tough spot. Um, but I don't want people listening to this to think that it was all about having a free daycare for the kids. You know, an elementary school student really is going to learn much better sitting in a chair in front of a teacher than in front of a computer on Zoom. So there's just there were a million factors to weigh, including the health and safety of, of all the kids as well. And we just felt like we could mitigate the, the risk. And and like I said, at the top of the of the session, um, we've had some buildings that have had no cases. Um, yeah, yeah. And so we it's they, they've done a really great job and they've been very successful. Was it one of the things that I've always said here is, look, I'm just following the science. I follow the CDC, Mayo Clinic, Johns Hopkins. I'm just following what what they say. Were there other resources you guys use to help make these decisions? Because there's so much, so much 
uh, you can find information everywhere and it can be very politicized and very hard to kind of understand what is real and what's not. Was there a, uh, something you guys leaned on? That's a really great question. It's tough. It, I, I can't answer that because the, the biggest, the biggest problem over the last 12 months is the, is the contradicting information that you receive. Yeah. It, it's very easy to say, follow the science. Um, People in positions of power that I have seen are picking and choosing which pieces of science to lean on. And I'm not I'm not faulting mm-hmm. them. Some of the CDC guidelines as far as social distancing and mask wearing, people are holding up and saying, this is what we have to do. And I'm, I'm not opposed to that. I don't want anyone to think I'm opposed to that. What I'm simply saying is the CDC said social distance and mask wearing. At the same time, the CDC also said kids should be back in school. That, that it, spreading isn't happening in school. They're, they learn better in school. They can mm-hmm. focus better. But you had people that would say, the CDC says I have to wear a mask. And then you'd say, well, the CDC also says you should go to school. And they said, yeah, but this guy says I shouldn't be in school. So, yeah, you know, we, we did try and stick to the CDC guidelines um, we did try and stick to the state guidelines, um, the state of Pennsylvania and the, the secretary of health and, and what the CDC was saying. And that's kind of where we stuck with, we're, a, you know, we're a quasi government agency, so we're kind of restricted mm-hmm. and forced to do some of that, but that's what we did. Now you've led organizations of all types. Were there certain leadership posi- uh, principles you took to this role at this time that you felt were, uh, you know, particularly useful in, in leading the district, uh, and also interacting with, uh, parents during, I think this is the most politically divided I've ever experienced anything and a pandemic and divided on how we should do that. Is there any sort of principles you leaned on during that time? I, you know, it's leadership's a funny thing. You can know how to lead it fundamentally and theoretically when it comes to action, Putting those into practice always takes that extra takes extra work to make sure that you're following your own guiding principles, and that goes the same for I am Wave in, in, a, in affiliate. Um, from a standpoint of of leadership principles going into into this, it, it was a lot about listening and hearing what people's concerns were. The problem that we ran into is, as you said, it's very politicized and it's very emotional. For people, both sides, and mm-hmm. when emotions run deep, logic tends to slip away sometimes, and it, it, people are just making decisions from their from their heart, and it, it's so it, just trying to be, I guess, trying to to listen and to hear what people's concerns were, and to try and address all sides at the same time. Um, standing firm to what you think is best for the kids. I mean, our, our school district, 60, 6,400 students. So yeah, I have two high school kids and I'm first and foremost worried about my two kids. But at the end of the day, I have the responsibility of all 6,400 kids in our school district. And yeah. I have to do what I think is, is right. And, and at the same time represent the people. And that that's a tough tightrope to walk. Yeah, I can't imagine. Well, I thank you for walking that, um, on, I am not in your district, but, uh, I am from Pennsylvania and, you know, I appreciate you stepping out. It's a hard thing to do. Um, I've served 
not on anything like that, but different organizations. And it, uh, it, they all seem to be thankless jobs uh, <laughs> when you do that. No pay, that's for sure. And I have yeah, to, de- yeah. I, I, hey, I, I, we probably talked about this longer than, than we should have. And people are going to like, hey, I thought this was an affiliate podcast. But <laughs> I have to decide in the next uh, four weeks if I'm going to run again. So, um, oh, wow. I'm already up and I already have to decide and file paperwork and get signatures. So it's, uh, it'll, it, it's it's TBD, you know, and that's one thing to think of. It's it's just another sort of a impact of this pandemic, is is that uh, if I these jobs are hard without what's what we've experienced the last year. So how many good leaders and volunteers do we lose uh, because it was you know it's so difficult, uh, so polarizing, uh, and people can be awful to other people and to, uh, uh, you know, school board members, all of that. So it's, it'll be interesting to see how many of the, they, uh, how many good volunteers and leaders we lose, uh, in positions like that because of, I mean, I'm sure you're wiped out from this. It, I, it'll be interesting. That's all I can say. Yeah. Well, let's, Let's dive right into affiliate marketing. Tell me how you found your way to I am Wave. Well, boy, that's a that's another story and a half. Uh, you, you know, <laughs> you know Adam Veener, who works with me at uh, uh, at I am Wave here, and yep, uh, yep. Adam. We and, go way back to yeah. Uh, Adam and I actually first worked together in 1994, showing my age. And we holy had, cow, we had an ISP in York, Pennsylvania. It was the first commercial ISP in York, and it was uh, me and Adam and uh, his wife, and three of us, you know, young youngsters trying to run this business. And so uh, we were friends and business partners back in the in the in the early '90s. Uh, after a few years, I think four years or so, we sold that that business, and we kind of went our separate ways, but remained friends. And I got a call from him in mid 2006. And he said, I'm looking at this affiliate marketing thing. And I said, okay. He said, what are you doing? I said, you know what I'm doing? I said, what's the real question? Because he, he knew what I was, where I was working. Mm-hmm. He said, uh, I think we could put something together here. So uh, I got on a plane and I flew to Affiliate Summit East in Miami. Oh, man, that was so hot. Remember that? <laughs> it was uh, Miami and I walked July. out of my cab. Oh, man, I walked out of my cab and my glasses fogged. Yeah. And I was like, what are we doing? <laughs> so I, I flew down there. I, hadn't, I was still working. I took, I took vacation time from my job. I flew down there with him. I met a bunch of people. Um, Probably. Probably when I met you, to be honest with you, when you were yeah, still yeah, with Conversion. Um, yep. And I, I flew home and I said, okay. And I walked in and I resigned from my job and jumped over to I Am Wave with Adam. And uh, the rest, as they say, has sort of been history. Wow. You know, so we've had people on this podcast that have gone back to affiliate marketing in like 99. I don't know if I've had anyone that goes back to the internet to 94. That's, that's quite the career, man. Well, <laughs> literally the beginning of it. It was, it, we, we had, we were a dial up ISP, uh, <laughs> built half the-, the people that will listen to this 
won't know what that means. I, isn't that amazing? <laughs> I mean, you know, you, you watch some of those old timeies and you hear the modem sounds and you're thinking, but all of our customers, our software landed all of our customers on our homepage uh, for the ISP. And on the homepage, we had an Amazon affiliate link. Um, hmm. We had some buy at, not, not buy at, um, what was the predecessor to be free? We had some be free yep. links. Um, so we had, we had a, we had a bunch of affiliate marketing links on that website in the, uh, in the late nineties. And then that's uh, crazy. Yeah. And then transitioned over from, from there. I was actually in print media for a while monetizing their websites. Um, so it was still in the internet and still monetizing web traffic, but in print media. And th th there's a group that uh, really missed the boat. Um, so I, I, you know, it was an easy decision. Just kind of now getting it. They're, they're kind of getting back into it now. Um, a lot of big media, media publishers, but you've been at I am wave for almost going on 15 years. What has kept you in the affiliate space? Well, it's, you know, it's constantly changing. It, it, as much as it stays the same, it changes. And I think back to when we started and how things were and how they are today. Um, I, I like challenges, I, whether it's personal or work or side projects. I like to look at, a, I find a solution to a problem. Um, I guess maybe makes me a good, why I'm good on some of these boards, but mm -hmm. I, and some of the challenges that were presented with and the way we used to do things in 2006, I look back and I'm like, how did we ever achieve anything doing it that way? We've progressed so far. And, yeah. um, you know, it didn't hurt that Adam and I had our, our friendship that went back. Actually, Adam and I became friends in, in 93. We were friends. We met over beer and hot wings, to be honest with you. <laughs> and uh, before we became partners in in 94. So, you know, Adam and I, we're going on a, what is that? Like almost a 30 year friendship. Uh, yeah. At yeah our, wow. At, at our age, that's a long time to know somebody. Yeah. So we get along and, um, and, you know, we, we build a pretty good team here and, you know, it's, uh, it hasn't stays when you're, it's a drag and you're like, why am I still doing this? But for the most part, it's pretty fun. And I get to see a lot of people and I get to meet a lot of people. And, uh, there's a lot to be said for that. And solve a lot of challenges, solve a lot of problems. So for our listeners, tell us who I am wave is. The easiest way to think of I am wave is to think of us as a, a search agency that operates via the affiliate channel. And, and, and what I say by that is, you know, we're a supplemental agency. We don't, we don't look to replace anyone's search efforts. We don't look to replace what they're doing internally or via their search agency. We look to supplement what they're doing. We just don't do it on a percentage of ad spend. We do it a hundred percent on performance. And that's why we do it through the affiliate. That's part of the reason we do it through the affiliate channel. The second part of the reason we do it through the affiliate channel is that it eliminates the barriers to entry to work with us. If you already have a CJ program or a link share program or an AWIN program or a link connector program, you can already work with us. There's no separate technological integration. There's no separate pixel. There's no tracking that has to be put into place. And so it makes it very, the barrier to entry sort of vanishes and uh, opens the door. And then we just look for, 
for ways that we can supplement search. People use search engines so differently today than they ever have in the past, and that changes all the time. And the keyword universe for some of these programs and some of these products is so vast that there's always open territory. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what we try and go after. You know, and, and the search landscape is changing so much. You know, we used to have, you know, back in the day, uh, 15 search engines and they all kind of each one had its own target. Um, recently, we had a prospective uh, client come to us and uh, they were it was a young man, uh, great company. Uh, and his he he was given a new role. Affiliate was something he wanted to add to. And he thought, well, I don't really know much about it. I need to go learn. And his first search was in Spotify, not in Google, not anywhere else. His first thought was, I'm going to go search in, in Spotify. He listened to one of our podcasts and, and then we started talking. So it's, it's a evolving thing. And that blew my mind. I had no idea anyone would use Spotify as a search engine. I've just made a note of that because we're going to have to clearly look at that as a, a in our R and D for this year. But you, you're exactly yeah, it you're exactly right. Mind. Yeah, it, it, it's always changing. You know, everyone you know, for a while, you know, well, who could supplant Google? Well, that stuff is happening. Um, so good. So you guys, you guys work cooperatively. Um, what are the uh, some of the major misconceptions that advertisers have with working with? Uh, with you guys? Well, the unfortunate thing about search is it's gotten a bad rap over the years. And it, that may that may be warranted. I mean, there it, it's very easy for people to jump into this space. It's very easy for people to do uh, sketchy and shady things. And frankly, just some people have gotten to the point where they're nervous about about it because they've seen some bad actors. And so that's a hard mm -hmm. thing for us to overcome. I mean, we've been in this business for over 15 years. Um, you know, we take it very seriously. It, it's hard to counteract that when you don't have a relationship. The, the other piece that is difficult for us is there are times when people think, well, if I get I am wave and they do search and they generate sales, then my search, my search guy, it's going to look like my search team isn't doing a good job. And mm -hmm. so search teams are resistant to that for that reason. Agencies are resistant to having us in for that reason. What they don't understand is that the search landscape is enormous and that just because another party can come in and find sales doesn't mean you're not doing a great job. You are doing a great job. You have a finite limit on bandwidth and band that bandwidth could be personnel. It could be technology. It could be budget. Um, yeah. And so when you have those limitations on, on those things, then you need to look at ways to supplement. And, and, and the, the business managers, the CFOs, they need to look at ways to supplement that business because you're just leaving money on the table in place of a fear of you know, what, what could happen. So that's, that's a really big thing. The other, and I, so that's, yeah. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we've always battled is that, uh, well, we have a search agency, so we don't need, uh, this, uh, but then we walk through, well, let's go through, you know, let's meet with your search team or we have a search team, either an agency or a search team and budgets run out. 
sometimes at eight o'clock at night or on Friday and yep. they don't have budget for the week or for the month. And uh, there are search terms that that particular agency or the search team weren't able to make profitable uh, that a, a firm like yours and like I am wave can make those profitable and you, you miss those sales. So that that's a typical argument we see. I assume you're, you're seeing the same thing. Well, we see, we, we, we see a lot of arguments that some, some are, are, some are simply, no, we can't allow that. Um, it'll cannibalize our search. And then that's the end of the discussion. The ones where we can have the search team on and explain to them exactly what we're, what we're looking at doing, it sort of opens their eyes a little bit, but you're, you're exactly right. We, I had a partner, I probably, I won't say who, I probably shouldn't say who, but I'm going to give you an example here. They had a limited budget for search. And as we got to talking, we were discussing back and forth. And um, I asked them, I said, what is your search budget for the month? Their search budget for the month was $2,000. This was a, a fairly large brand. And when we did an analysis on their search, you, you hit the nail on the head. Around the 10th of the month, their search was at budget for the month. They were done. And two competitors were taking over position one and two on all of their terms for the next 20 days. Then at the beginning of the next month, when they would try to turn their search back on, they would struggle to gain, regain position because they had been off. And so what we were able to do is work collaborative, collaboratively with them. When their budget ran out, our budget turned on. We ran for the balance of the month. On the 30th, we shut everything off and they picked up again. And so you could see these you could see these plateaus and then these dips to zero. But what was happening was they were paying a CPA. So it was coming out of a different bucket. It wasn't coming out of search spend. And they were gaining all these residual sales that they wouldn't normally have missed out on. And as their budget did slowly increase, the day at which we turned the campaign on also changed, which is fine. We're in partnership. So if they had enough budget for the 20th, then we would only run 10 days. So it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's very interesting what can be accomplished. And that, that was what I wanted to talk about. Now, you and I have worked this way, but for uh, our listeners and any advertisers listening, I think one of the misconceptions is when when we bring up I am wave or uh, uh, any search campaign through the affiliates, uh, they immediately their impression of what an affiliate is and how they work is uh, clouding this particular proposal. So in their mind, they think of uh, you know there's still a concept. Or, or a, a thought of affiliates as bottom feeders, and they're coming in right at the end uh, to to grab that sale and providing no little value. And the the back and forth uh, between advertiser and publisher isn't strong. Um, the working relationship is one of uh, I've made these links available, and these people are using them, but I really don't know what they're doing. But it definitely sounds like, and in my experience with you, that's not your—that's not how you work. You talked about 
you perform an analysis on search. Um, what kind of talk to me about the relationship between you and advertiser through the affiliate channel so that our listeners can see like th- this isn't a uh, sort of a set it and forget it on the advertiser side and hope things work out kind of relationship. Well, boy, Jamie, I, I wish that was really the way it worked. Um, I, I have many partners who do put us on set it and forget it. Um, I have many partners that they, they sign up with us and that's the last we hear from them. And that, and that's okay, but our best partnerships are ones where we can work collaboratively with, with our partners and where they can tell us um, what, it, what are their goals I mean, obviously to sell more, but specifically, are they looking for a 15% growth over last quarter? Are they looking, are they looking to break into a new geography? Are they looking to break into new product categories? What are they trying to accomplish and where are their efforts focused? The, The more I know about where they're focused, the more I can focus elsewhere. And that's what we really want. I don't want to be focused on where their search is focused. I want to be focused where they don't have search. And so I don't, I don't typically run in, I run it, I more often than not, I run into the, we don't like search partners over, we just generally don't like affiliates. Now, having, having said that, there is a huge, um, there is a huge component here that I don't want to miss out on. If you're going to ask me later, we can come back to it, but agencies played a pretty big role for us, um, uh, in introducing us to clients and the, those introductions make they make all the difference because we're not coming in cold a lot of times um, with those kinds of things. So I, I I would say no. I don't run into the you know we don't like affiliates and and I mean some programs have that, but it's more often than not trying to overcome the search question. And is that question uh, the cannibalizing their current search program, or how would we work with you and our search agency? What what is their objection? Well, it's either we have it all covered, we have the whole search landscape covered already. We don't need it, um, which you know we know is not correct, and they know it's not correct. But that's the 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 reasoning, or they're they're worried about paying for sales that they quote unquote would have gotten anyway. Um, and so it's, it, it's that scenario where they think all of the, all of their efforts are getting a hundred percent of the possible sales, which you, you just know, isn't, isn't really realistic. They're, they're just not doing that. And it's, you have to overcome that and you have to get past that. If you generate $10,000 worth of sales, Someone's going to say, why wouldn't, you know, you're in search. Why weren't you getting that $10,000 in sales? Yeah. And how is it to uh, work with other search agencies? Have you had uh, a general apprehension on their side? Um, Or have they been open to help you augment what they're not able to do? Great question. It, the question is, it depends. If you have a, if you have a, a search agency who sort of rules the roost and runs the show and the management of, of the of advertiser just takes for whatever they say and says, well, that's what our agency says. Then yes, we have had tremendous uh, apprehension. And um, I think they feel like we're trying to take over their business, which we are not. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we can explain that and sometimes we can't. When 
the merchant or the advertiser really runs their own business and looks at the search agency as what they are, which is a third-party vendor who should operate in the scope of what the advertiser tells them to operate in, they seem to be much more receptive to allowing it. Um, they, they, they don't show their hand as being um, very much adamant or really opposed to it, especially if we can have a conversation, all three of us together and discuss it and get through it. And that's probably something a lot of advertisers don't know. Like you will get on a meeting with their search team, whether that's in-house or through an agency and find a way for this to, to work for everybody. Right. And we have done that. We do that. We offer that. Um, and when we've had those opportunities, more often than not, they do work out. And sometimes we don't need that because sometimes the advertisers just say, well, you know, it's our program and this is how we're going to do it. But uh, we are, you know, like I said many times over again, repeating myself, we're, we're about collaboration, not competition with your current search efforts. And, you know, we could we could come in there and try and sneak 12 hours worth of commissions out of your program and take them out from one pocket to the other. But we're not going to have a long term relationship that way. And we wouldn't have be around for 15 years if that's what we were trying to do. So our, it's really important for us to make sure that what we're bringing in is incremental. And that's great to hear. Now, do you, in the past, I've worked with some search partners and, and my career started in 99 um, and we've had separate agreements. Do you guys, after you meet with the advertiser, do you uh, do you write addendums to the affiliate agreement? Do you just sort of agree? You know, you talk about we're going to find where we, you know, your your search efforts are over here. We're going to come over in this other area uh, and operate this way. So I assume you, you know, each relationship has its own uh, uh, do's and don'ts and and uh, agreements. Do you, do you write that into a new agreement? How does that work? Because I know advertisers have always worried about, yeah, well, that's what they say they're going to do, but I'm not up at midnight and checking these things. Um, so do you, do you write separate agreements? We have in the past. We try not to. Um, it, we try to keep it as straightforward and as sim simplified as, as possible. You know, in some of the networks, you can have a publisher specific term uh, or or I.O., in which case we just have them write mm -hmm. one that specifies uh, what we've discussed. In other times, we'll just get it in, e in writing via email. Um, we sign many, many non-NDAs, uh, non-disclosures yep. before they'll talk about their business with us, which is fine. Um, you know, we're not sharing business across uh platforms or, or or across verticals so there's that but we try not to get involved with creating legal documents or agreements if we don't have to um it is it other than the base parameters for a program it's very fluid in what we do you know different keyword sets different geographies different day parts um out i mean the, sticking with the, the finite terms of, of the deal but the rest of it's pretty fluid and so we found that it's easier not to do that to have, you know, these separate hardwired agreements that have to be updated from time to time. Gotcha. And so what sort of uh, reporting, do you provide reporting to your advertising partner or it just goes through the affiliate network? Is there additional, you know, things that you do? 
Now, there's not really any additional reporting that we offer uh, specifically because, you know, they're not paying the ad spend. Um, yeah. So they it, through the affiliate network, whatever network they're in, they, they can see every click. They can see every conversion. They can see when our if our cookie was overwritten by a, a you know, a coupon or or a toolbar site. Um, so they they have most of that reporting available to them. Then anything that I would be able to provide, they, they have visibility into, into much of it already. And again, that just simplifies things because they can manage us like they do across any other affiliate and see that what we're bringing in. Gotcha. One more sort of in the weeds technical question that some have had is, do you, you, do you operate uh, within their paid search account or your own? We operate within our own. The accounts are ours. The keywords are ours and our intellectual property. Um, you know, the benefit of IM Wave is that we find keywords that convert that maybe some other people hadn't found in the past. And so, you know, we, we, we don't share them and that some people don't like that and that that's created problems. But, you know, once I share my keywords, they, they become your keywords at that point and you don't need me. And the benefit, and it's not malicious, it's just people are lo always looking for new keywords. So um, we operate in our own account uh, with Google and we manage it that way. Gotcha. Well, it makes sense to me. You're taking the risk, you're, spend, you're, you're paying the ad spend, uh, and they get the result without having to pay until it turns into a sale. So definitely want to protect your, you know, your stuff. So tell me what kind of, what advertiser is this really good for? What advertiser doesn't this fit for? Well, I'm going to be very candid with you, Jamie. If I knew the answer to that, I'd probably go to Vegas and start placing some bets because <laughs> the one thing I can guarantee you in 15 years is I don't know how to pick a winner in this business. And, and, and I say that sort of tongue in cheek, but the reality is there are programs that I thought should have blown the doors off that just yeah. tanked hard. And simultaneously, there were programs that I ran as a favor. I mean, some of the some of some of the people I know in this and still communicate with in this industry, I've known like you since 2007, 2008, 2009. Um, some of my agency friends and they'll bring me one and say, hey, can you do me a favor and run this? I'm like, ah. Okay. And it's just taken off and I had no yeah. idea. And so it's, it's a tough thing to gauge. And so the other, the, what I can tell you is over the years, we have found success across a vast array of verticals. We have also discovered that just because just take telecommunications, for instance, and I'm just saying this as an example, just because you had you were in the T-Mobile program and it was working well, doesn't mean that the AT&T program is going to work equally well for you. And yeah. the reason being is that it's, you know, in search, I need to find the traffic and I need to deliver the traffic. But once I deliver the traffic, it's up to the, it's up to the site, it's up to the partner, it's up to the advertiser to convert. If they don't have a compelling offer or they don't have a compelling landing page, or they, they have a complicated funnel, you know, lead funnel process, I can send a ton of traffic that won't convert. And so it, what we say to everybody is, let's run a test. 
It's all about testing. Let us test the program, give us 60 days, we'll run it, we'll get some real metrics, we'll get some real CPC information, and we'll be able to tell you a lot of things after that period of time. Uh, there's nothing worse than a program where I'm generating sales for them and the advertiser is super happy and I have to turn it off because it costs me more to bring in those sales than I made in commission and I'm actually losing money. Then they're like, well, well, well yeah. I, I, I want these sales. I'm like, I know you want them, but I can't afford to pay for you to have them. And so that's a, that's you can't a, lose money doing I it. can't lose money doing it. And then, you know, that opens the door to conversations about commission. And sometimes, you know, you can get a, a little, a, a point or two and you can turn it around and sometimes you can't, but, uh, it just, it's, it's a very unique, what's going to work and what's not going to work is very unique. And I wish I had a magic eight ball or a crystal ball to be able to tell you. And I just do not. Yeah. So are there things the advertiser can do for this relationship to, to be more, more inclined to be successful than not? Well, I think the, the most, I think the, the ones that have really focused on the, their conversion pages, their, their funnel. Um, I think the ones that focus on compelling offers in general, uh, are the ones that have a better shot at working. Um, I, there are certain, there are certain verticals where people come at me all day long and they want us to, to market. You know, we get a ton of CBD offers coming in. Yeah. Hey, can you do this? Hey, can, and I understand it's blowing up for some people. Um, you know, we don't take any of those on. So, and a lot of the websites where they have, you know, it's a one skew kind of a, we sell one thing um, and it's very niche. You know, you may be able to find, generate a couple of sales here and there, but you're not going to blow the doors off uh, somebody that has a huge volume. The more, the more institutional information we can get from a program regarding conversion rates and, and, AOVs and average order values and those kinds of things to, to run some, some modeling ahead of time. That does help, but it's not, it's not a predictor uh, all the time. Yeah. Well, it's a common thread through all my interviews. The more transparency you can have with your affiliate partners, the, the more likely the, the success is. Um, so talk to, can you talk to me about some of your guys' successes? Yeah, I got, I mean, over the years there've been some, some interesting successes. I, as I mentioned earlier with NDAs, I probably can't tell you who. Um, yeah, that's fine. But I can give you a couple of examples that I thought were really unique yeah. in terms of um, ways that we can work within their existing program. If you think your listeners will find that interesting. I think that would be fantastic. And I totally understand the the NDA thing. All of our case studies start with a... Uh, you know, an advertiser in the beauty and skincare uh, <laughs> vertical. So totally, uh, totally get that. I think our audience will too. So I, 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 when you, when you laid this out for me, I thought of three specific examples that I would share with you. Uh, so I, I'll try not to drone on, but I think they're really interesting because it paints a picture. Uh, I had one, one part program, um, sort of an online community online game kind of a of a program and we were talking and you know they said typical you know we need to protect our brand i said of course you need to protect your brand but remember i'm paying for the ad so i i want to write 
ad copy that's at least as good as yours. I'm not going to write crappy ad copy and then pay for the ad myself. Um, you know, I'm not out to hurt you. I'm out to make money. And they said, oh, well, that makes sense. And I, they said, but, you know, our biggest markets, we're not willing to test it. And I said, okay. I said, well, you know, let, let me know. And they, what about overseas? And the guy thought about it and he said, you know, he said, um, yeah, he goes, we have a couple markets overseas where we have spent no money, but we think there's a market. And I think he gave us, I think he gave us Belgium and some other little country. I can't remember off the top of my head, but that was where we started. Two countries. It was like Belgium and Liechtenstein or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And we geotarget our ad copy to those, to those uh, areas. And that's where we ran. And this program just shot out of the gate. And every couple of months, it'd be like, hey, can you guys add France? Yeah. Hey, can you guys add Spain? Yeah. Hey, can you guys can you guys add the UK? And so s slowly we grew in the geography. So our ads were targeted in those specific countries, and that was it. And we stayed, we, we geo-targeted out. At the end, um, you know, we were, we were in process of discussing moving it here to the U.S. too, which was the biggest part of their program because they started to see how we could do some incremental work. So that's a way where we could start small and grow. The second example I wanted to share with you is a hotel chain. And this isn't a destination. You know, it's not like Vegas or, or Sandals. It's, it's just, you know, one of the regular hotel chains that's out there. And this guy had some really interesting insights into his, um, his program. And he knew that during the day from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., his cost, his CPA was about 5%, which is pretty decent. Somehow or other, between 7 p.m. and 7 a.m. overnight, his cost went up to 15%, whatever wow. he was running. And so he thought, you know, that just wasn't feasible for him. Plus, he, he was spreading his budget out across the whole day. And he was losing clicks early in the day at a low rate and paying for them overnight. So what he did is he set his campaigns to run from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. only. And he put all of his budget during that time frame. Then he brought us on board to run from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. just overnight. And he split the difference and paid us 8%. So he was saving 7% on those sales. Yep. And he was putting his budget into the early hours where he was getting them at 5%. That program blew up. I mean, it just took off like crazy and, and, you know, they loved it. And, um, you know, that's, and you guys were able to, to hit your marks and be profitable on that 8%. We were, we were, because he, it, he wasn't getting the same level of traffic he was getting on his own, but he was getting, he, he was maximizing the, the traffic at 5% and anything at 8% was incremental and still valuable to him from an ROI standpoint. Hey, and this is one of the reasons I always uh, enjoy working with IM Wave or, or others is there's a uh, there's an uh, urgency with making sure like you you aren't going to run a campaign that's not profitable. So you're going to work I th I think harder uh, to make sure that happens and in this case, you know, it's a clear example of that. That that's exactly right. I mean, it's it it's our money. And we have benchmarks and thresholds and targets and, you know, they don't all work. I'm giving you three successes here. I could probably come up with just as easy three failures, but 
um, mm-hmm. you know, let's let's be positive and talk about successes. But, yeah, yeah. But you're right. It, it's it, it's figuring out what what it's almost more important to figure out quickly what doesn't work than what does work. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, you know, we struggle with that. And the, the last example I'll give you was a uh, an airline, sort of a regionally focused national flights, right? but regional focus. And mm-hmm. the limited budget for search that they had, they focused on one, two, three, four, five states. Five states probably accounted for better than 80% of their bookings. And so that's where they put all their money. But there are still 45 other states and there are still flights that and routes that they ran and they flew that there were no there were no efforts being put into place. And so we ran a state by state campaign excluding the five that they were focused on. And so we, you know, we could pick up, okay, do they have a route from Chicago to where? Do they have a route from Salt Lake City to where? And we were able yeah. to target people in the in Salt Lake and people in Chicago that they weren't hitting and trying to get them on some of these routes where they weren't targeted. As as they grew, they would add states to their mix and pull them out of our mix which again is fine. It's about collaboration. We're not upset that that happened. That's the natural progression of things. As they grew to seven states, then we dropped down to 43 states. But we yeah. were able to do to do that for them. So that, that it's kind of, it's three examples. You know, it's an example of targeting international, starting small and getting yeah. big. It's an example of uh, day parting for success. And it's example of geotargeting for success. So the, yeah, it's, and those are some of the those are great examples. I, I wrote it down like entry into new markets, so geotargeting, and then yeah, day parting, definitely doing that. And then uh, the last one with the airlines could also uh, relate to just the time that your team has, whether it's the agency or in house to focus on all these different states. So you kind of hit the, you know, all the different ways that you guys uh, can help I, that they're fantastic examples. And, and I'm not surprised. Yeah. And yeah. One of the other ones that I, I, I been, it was working with a program. It never really took off um, change of management and, you know, all those sorts of things that happen. And then you, you don't have a contact anymore, but they were focused on doing search in and around their brick and mortar store stores Mm-hmm. Under the impression that people would were going to potentially buy things online, but more often than not come into the store. And I said, but you're trying to grow your online sales too, right? And they said, well, yeah. And I said, well, then you should limit your search to where your physical locations are because those people probably already know about you. And so we don't need to do, you don't need a new branded search because they already know you. But if an, a state where they don't know you, but they're looking for products that you sell and you have a, a compelling price point, don't you want to be in front of them? Shouldn't you be, be, shouldn't we be running search in the middle of, they had no stores in, I think it was Iowa, um, hmm. Midwest somewhere. I said, but they, those people buy your stuff. They just don't buy it from you because you don't have a store, but you have a compelling pro. Don't you want them to be exposed to you to buy it online and have it shipped? 
um, we got very close and then, uh, uh, she changed jobs. So, yeah. And that's definitely one thing to, to look at, um, store locations we have a company that is primarily in the Northeast with their stores, but they sell a lot of stuff, uh, uh nationwide because of their affiliate program, uh, and partners like you guys. Now, Tony, so much has changed in 2020. How has trademark plus uh, changed in 2020 and, and with the pandemic? Well, Trademark Plus in general has been an interesting topic over the last, I'd say, five years or so. Uh, it it sort of, it meant something different six years ago than it than it does now. And, and what, it, what it started to mean now is, you know, brand plus coupon, brand plus promo, and this, this notion of taking up position two or position three with an affiliate. So it's your link plus then coupon, coupon, coupon. Um, I, I won't get into the uh, discussion of the, the value of, of a TM plus. I, I'll simply say that I am wave does not operate in that TM plus space. And I, that, that's been a common misconception uh, about us for all of our 15 years that we want to bid on brand terms. We want to bid on, on brand plus coupon terms. And, and it's just not how we operate. We, we're looking if you have any kind of comprehensive search program, you're bidding on your own brand terms already, and you're bidding on brand plus promo if they if those convert. We're looking for the space where you don't have any search campaign. So, you know, I think people are starting to pull back a little bit. From what I'm hearing in the marketplace, people are starting to pull back a little on the TM plus. Um, you know, you're paying you're paying commission and a coupon. So you're really getting a discounted sale in some of those places. Um, but at the same time, people are really trying to maximize exposure. So I, I can't speak to how those guys are doing. Um, what I can tell you is that it's not, it's not a, a category. It's not a vertical. It's not a place where I am wave operates. We're not, we're not looking at your brand plus coupon or your brand brand plus promo, uh, or your brand plus discount. We're, we're really looking at what terms are people out there? What products, what search terms are they putting in to find the products that you sell and how do we deliver them to your site? And that probably goes back to our, uh, the misconception discussion we had earlier is probably a big one is when they hear search. That's the first thing they think of in, uh, in the affiliate channel is trademark plus. I've had 30 minute conference calls explaining how we don't do TM plus. And then at the very closing comments, the affiliate manager will say, okay, well, let me check in with them and see how they feel about TM plus and we'll get back to you. Oh no. <laughs> and so it, it, you know, it's, it's really become this, it's, it's really taken on a life of its own, this whole TM plus conversation and, and people start to not hear uh, what the opportunities are. And search has, as you said, search that's the first thing I think of. Well, we don't allow bidding on our brand terms. Well, that's okay. I don't want to bid on your brand terms. That's that's my response. We don't allow TM plus. That's okay. I don't want to bid TM plus. Oh, and then that sort of changes the script, flips the script and, and lets us have the real conversation, which is how can we bring you incremental sales, which is really what it all comes down to. Yeah. And that's a really, that's a really big distinction. Uh, so if, if I said, I am wave doesn't do trademark plus they find the areas that you're not focusing on or not able to do profitably, whether that's time of day, new markets, 
whether you don't have the resources to put time into that, and they help you find incremental sales in those areas that do not include Trademark Plus. Yeah, and that's exactly right. And we, we focus away from the head terms. Now, some programs, uh, frankly, they ask us to do stuff like that. Uh, because they don't have a comprehensive program. If you're spending six high six figures on search, there's a lot less area for IM Wave to work in than if you're spending 2000 a month in search. And so that here again, this is why, uh, you know, I don't have a deck. People say, can you send me your deck? Well, no, because what I do for you is going to be very different than what I do from the next guy and very different from what I do for the, the guy after that. I need to understand your program and I need to understand what a uh, what capabilities you have. And then I can tell you specifically how I can fit into that program. And that that's why it's important for us to get on and have these conversations with people. Yeah, definitely. And that is something that, uh, you know, one of the things that we always tell people about affiliate, the affiliate channel is it's, it's a channel where you can augment your spend and sometimes, you know, augment it considerably and not have that budget outlay because you're paying for it after the sale. You don't have to get a budget approval for another $5,000 in ad spend on in AdWords. You can work with a partner and augment that, allow them to do it with a budget and a, a budget structure that's already been approved. So you can, you can if you only have $2,000 a month budget, uh, it's probably not going to be enough to get all the, the market share that you uh, have available. But I am Wave can step in, augment that budget, make it much bigger, uh, and still hit those goals uh, without the trademark plus stuff. Exactly. And if we if we can if we can we'll do it, and if we can't we'll tell you we can't. Awesome, awesome. Well, Tony, thank you so much. We're we're a little over our time, so I apologize for that. If any of our listeners want to get a hold of you, I am Wave. Uh, to talk about what you guys can do. What's the best way for them to do that? The easiest thing to do is reach out via email. Um, Tony, T-O-N-Y at imwave.com. We can start the conversation at that point. We can set up a call if need be, uh, discuss their needs, what their program looks like, and figure out if it's going to be a fit or not. Um, but it always starts with the conversation. This is Technology aside, this is very much a people business. Always has been. I think it always will be. All right. Well, Tony, thank you so much. Really enjoyed uh, every conversation we had, uh, ever have. And really this one today, I think our audience can learn a lot about what you guys do, this type of affiliate relation uh, relationship, and you know some of the things they can do uh, to make their affiliate program successful. So I really appreciate you taking time out today. And for our listeners, uh, check our show notes. We'll have all the information to get a hold of, hold of Tony and the team at I Am Wave. Um, and yeah, so thank you for joining me today. Well, thank you for having me on. And uh, as always, it's a pleasure to have a conversation with you. And and just thanks so much for including me. Yeah. And good luck with your decision on uh, the school board next year. And again, thank you for uh, for serving in that capacity in that thankless and difficult, tumultuous job. Much appreciated. Well, there you have it. Trademark Plus isn't what they do. And hopefully with this episode, you really 
could get a feel for the difference between a Trademark Plus affiliate and a search agency that operates through the affiliate channel and on the affiliate model. A huge distinction, uh, and hopefully you're able to pick up on that. So Tony, thank you so much for joining me today. Really appreciate it. Here are some of the things that I pulled from that. There are, in, in the successes that Tony shared, and for my advertise, or, uh, listeners, I want you to really pull these out. You can use a search agency, I Am Wave, uh, others like it, to enter new markets, to test out. You can use that and not uh, be with such a heavy investment in budget in those areas as they uh, use geo-targeting in their search campaign to just target those markets that uh, you're, you're looking to move into or haven't moved into with your search program. And then we look at day parting. How many of us are out of budget by eight o'clock at night? Well, people are still buying in a lot of different ways for a lot of different products. So that example showed us that you can work with a partner like this, uh, work with I Am Wave and give them certain times uh, to work together. And then the airlines example that geo-targeting uh, the effort in the places that they just weren't spending time on, that really gets to everyone has a limit on the resources they can put into anything, including budget, including time and people. And if you don't have that to hit every possible avenue of customer acquisition, then this can be a really profitable channel for you and a really profitable relationship. So we talked a lot uh, about the misconceptions and the, that big one there at the end of what is Trademark Plus and how are they different is a big one. But if you want to reach out to Tony and uh, see if it's a right fit for you and talk about things like, uh, you know, is there opportunity? How does this not cannibalize search? I definitely highly recommend Tony and his team and if you're worried about this cannibalizing search, you're worried about your search team getting up in arms about working with a partner like this, know that Tony and his team will have a conversation with each of those. And after a conversation, I think everybody will feel a lot better. This is a cooperative relationship uh, and, and we've done it many times with them in the past and, and highly recommend it. So you can actually reach out to Tony uh, at Tony at IamWave.com. We will include that in the show notes. Uh, so again, Tony, thank you for joining. And also just want to share with you, if you go to jebco.de slash strategy, that's jebco.de slash strategy, you'll get access to our affiliate program strategy roadmap service. And you can see if that's a right fit for you. So if you're trying to figure out what is the right overarching strategy for my affiliate channel to produce incremental sales, revenue growth, grab market share in a time we're in right now, which is very fluid uh, and lots change, lots changes every single week, then you definitely want to take advantage of this service. So if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure you, you give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And definitely, if you found value in this, please share this in your socials or send it to someone that you think would benefit from today's discussion. But again, I'm Jamie Birch, your host, founder and CEO of JB Commerce, your award-winning affiliate management agency. Thank you for listening today. And a special shout out to Shane and Katie at JEB Commerce for helping me make this podcast possible. I could not do it without you guys.